Hey everyone, this is Derek Bellamy, Digital Marketing Specialist at Great Place to Work Canada. Welcome to the relaunch of our podcast, which we are now calling Workplace Greatness Radio. The theme and mission of this podcast is going to be helping you make your organization a better workplace. And I'm looking forward to interviewing all kinds of different managers and other subject matter experts that can help teach both me and you how to do that. I want this podcast to be authentic. I want it to be interesting. I want it to have energy. And most of all, I want it to be useful to both managers and employers in making their workplace great. So I have two notes on this episode. The first is that I had to record it at home, and at points you might hear a baby from the apartment above mine, which was being loud that morning. So I apologize for that. Please bear with me. I'd also like to point out that any opinions I express are mine. I'm not planning to say anything especially controversial, but I'm not the CEO and these are not press releases. So when I say I think, please keep in mind that I'm speaking only for myself. My boss didn't make me add that, but I thought I should do so just in case, just to be clear. So thanks again for listening to the first podcast after the relaunch. And I will interview Sarah Liverance from Sklar Wilton on the topic of mental wellness in the workplace on the other side. All right, it is time to interview Sarah Liverance of Sklar Wilton and Associates, partner at Sklar Wilton and Associates, and founder, I would say, of the Headway Movement. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being our first guest for the relaunch of the podcast. Wow, it's lovely to be introduced that way. I think that's the first time I've actually heard the founder of Headway title said so officially. That's exciting. Well, Headway is exciting, and what you're doing is exciting, and I think it's a big deal. Absolutely. So I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about it. So we're going to be discussing mental wellness. And fundamentally, what I want this episode and every episode of this show to be is a practical guide for employers and employees and anyone in the professional world to make their workplace a better workplace. So for this episode, I want the theme of the episode to be practically how can employers make their workplaces better for fostering mental wellness. But to start, can you tell me a bit about yourself, uh, what you do at Sklar Wilton, and what Sklar Wilton does? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm blessed to be a member of a really fulfilling four-person partnership with Charlie Wilton, Jennifer Marley, and Manoj Raheja. Um, and together we own and operate Sklar Wilton and Associates. Our company purpose is to help others succeed, and we do that through strategic insight partnerships with our clients. Basically, we help our clients build stronger brands. Um, and over our 30-year history, we've had the pleasure of working with many of Canada's most iconic brands. And most of our relationships, unlike a lot of consultancies or advisory firms, most of our relationships are quite long-term. So with many of our clients, we've worked for decades with them. You know, one small example that might bring it to life is the, our work with Molson Coors where we've been helping them address the problem of stagnant growth in the beer category as consumers have been shifting away towards other beverages. Um, and so rooted, we're rooted in a deep understanding of consumer needs. And so we've been able to help them think differently about their portfolio, about their competitive set, and really innovate into other offerings like kombucha and cannabis. Um, so that's just one example of, of the kinds of work we do. Um, we're a firm of about 40 associates, and I'm essentially the managing partner. 
So I look after kind of the all the all the people matters, the financials, and uh, sort of try and ensure the smooth operation of the company. It sounds like empathy is pretty central to what you guys do productively because you need to empathize with consumers in order to understand them. Absolutely, and I think all our clients as well. We we say that we'd like to, our hiring model is kind of folks from the client side. Because we say if you've walked in the client's shoes, if you've lived their life, you're in a much better position to empathize with them and to be able to um, to sit in their chair and, and know what they're feeling and know what they're dealing with. So empathy is a big part of what we do, yeah. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what's going on at Sclar Wilton in regards to mental wellness and how mental health and mental wellness in the workplace became such an important issue for Sklar, for Sklar Wilton. You bet. I'd love to. Um, And there are kind of several chapters to our story. Um, The first one I would sort of title the preventive maintenance or maybe better said our proactive wellness chapter. And that started about eight or 10 years ago when we got really clear on our company purpose of helping others succeed. And we built a whole strategic plan around that. Um, And through that process, we overtly acknowledge that in this line of work that we're in, where we're client service. We're, we're essentially on 24-7 for our clients. It's super demanding work. Um, and then if we think about our people, these are people who are parents, they're children of aging parents, um, they're people dealing with trying to pay mortgages, they're dealing with health issues. I mean, all of life's demands. Um, so essentially, we thought about, you know, how can we not just help our clients, but also help each other succeed? And that's when we came up with the notion of a whole person development program that's really designed to equip us with a toolkit that we can call on as needed um, to more effectively and confidently deal with all of those challenges that life throws your way. Um, and so we created, we sort of shopped it around to see if anyone else had created such a thing that we could maybe rip off and, and modify for our own needs, um, but weren't really successful with that. So we've kind of created, we've created it on our own. Um, and it's an ongoing curriculum of learning sessions really around mind, body, and spirit wellness. Um, and we've done a bunch of things. We sort of started with personal goal setting. We did a 16-week mindfulness program. We've worked with the Human Performance Institute to incorporate much of their corporate athlete content, which is really about energy management um, and how you sort of take care of of your body. We've had sessions on brain health, sleep best practices, resilience, empathy. And so we started that program about six years ago, um, and it's our proactive wellness program. So that was kind of our chapter one. And then in 2015, I would say we kicked into chapter two, which is what I'd call the triage chapter. Um, and really what, what thrust us into that was our founder, Luke Scalar, who was one of those larger-than-life entrepreneurs, you know, the type who walks in a room and just fills it up. He became ill with severe depression. Um, and that was super stressful for our tight-knit family-like company. So very quickly, we had to learn a lot about mental illness, essentially how to, su- how to support those suffering from it and how to support their families, as well as the rest of our close-knit team that was so impacted by it. So there was this long three-year period where Luke was really ill. And eventually, last year, almost exactly a year ago, we lost him to suicide. I'm very sorry to hear that. Thank you. 
Um, that was an incredible blow to see someone that was so successful, so full of passion, so smart, uh, such a caring guy succumb to what I refer to as an invisible assault. And so during that triage chapter, um, we became acutely aware that we need to do even more than just proactive um, wellness. We need to have some things in place to deal with people who are really suffering. Um, and lots of us are familiar with that statistic that one in five of us will experience a mental health issue in a given year. But our little, com I mean, our little company of 40 is no exception. And we have several with diagnosed illnesses. 40 of us are vulnerable from time to time. Um, so some of the things that we did sort of as part of our chapter two work is we took a really hard look at our infrastructure, our benefits plan, um, and realized that that needed to be revamped to um, treat mental health as, as prominently as we treat physical health. So we introduced a lot of flexibility um, to, our, to our plan and ensured we had much better co coverage for mental health issues. The other thing that we did, um, you know, throughout Luke's illness and now ongoing is awareness and education for our team. So really understanding the various types of mental illness and then how we can support one another and the resources that are available to us so that if any one of us were to have a conversation with a colleague that needs help or frankly anyone else in our life that needs help, we'd be able to um, direct them to some resources, knowing that we're not mental health experts ourselves. Um, and so that, those are really the two key things that we did during the, the triage stage, sort of in, in addition to amping up our whole, a whole person wellness program. I think it's great how open you guys are and comfortable you guys are talking about this. And I think the whole backstory that you have and the way you're talking about it to me right now really shows that it's not just a PR or marketing thing, that this is something that is really important to everyone at Sklar Wilton. And I think that's important. I think authenticity is really important. Thanks for acknowledging that. And that, you know what? I, I've got to credit Luke with that. Luke really owned his illness from the very beginning. Um, and he was, he was inducted to the uh, um, American Marketing Association's Marketing Hall of Legends in 2015, really about eight months into his illness. Frankly, I was incredibly proud of him to even be able to, you know, deliver an acceptance speech. And he did it in, in such a wonderful Luke way. But he stood up in that acceptance speech in front of hundreds of people um, and, and owned his illness. And the quote that just echoes in our minds still is he said, this is an insidious sickness needing even more awareness, understanding, and community. So he set the example for us. He started the conversation. Um, and it would, actually be, it would actually be wrong of us not to be continuing that and, and amping that up and elevating it. So have you seen a difference in how Sklar Wilton functions as a business and in the workplace culture at Sklar and how your employees function since trying to implement these changes and since making this a uh, essential issue for your company? Absolutely. Since we la launched that whole person wellness program that I mentioned, um, we've seen consistent year-over-year -year improvements in our associate engagement ratings, and we've been 
named one of Great Place to Work's top workplaces in the past three years, and, and two out of the past three years, we've been employee-recommended workplaces, number one, for small privately held businesses. Those are great accolades, but I think what's what's more important is it's just a super caring culture, and we have become much more honest and open and transparent, as you sort of just alluded to, um, and great. are having having wonderful conversations about topics like this. And I think that's where the real magic is. I think that's where we're going to be able to really make a difference for each and every one of our, one of our associates. I think authenticity is so important. I think it is really important that something not just be words, you know, that something not just be a PR campaign, that this is something you live and that you're real and open about it. Like in my opinion, when we're having these discussions, if you're not feeling at least a little bit uncomfortable, there's a problem. Because that shows that you're doing it in a way that is meant to virtue signal, that it, that is made for PR purposes and, and, and isn't authentic. You know, we kind of need to push boundaries in terms of what we're comfortable talking about uh, and what issues we're, we're comfortable facing head on. And if you feel a little bit uncomfortable, then that shows that we are pushing those boundaries, right? Absolutely. I mean, a topic like this that is so, you know, for so long been stigmatized. Yeah, there's definitely discomfort um, in the early stages, but it's like anything else, you know, practice, practice makes it easier. And the more people that sort of stand up and talk about their, their issues, their vulnerabilities, the things they're scared of and worried about, um, the more conversations we seem to be having. Right. You've spoken a lot about what has been happening at Sklar Wilton. I know that a couple weeks ago you launched the Headway Movement um, to sort of spread the work you're doing to other workplaces in Canada. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So that's really kind of chapter three for us as we've said, okay, now what can we do on a bigger, broader scale? Because if we think about Luke, Luke was someone with, with huge impact. He had broad reach and great impact. So we knew we wanted to do something in his memory that really reflected who he was. And just a little bit of context, his, his case was really rare. He was, he was treatment resistant, but it still left us wondering if we'd been better educated, you know, could we have seen the signs earlier and maybe intervened sooner? Or if we'd known more about depression, could we have done more to lessen the intensity or the duration of his illness? And I think, you know, the, the true answer is probably no to both of those because Luke's case was unusual. But I think we've got to think about the rest of our employee population and the rest of the broader Canadian employee population. And if we combine that with the fact that, like the stats show that we spent, many of us spend more time with our work colleagues than we do with our family and friends. Yeah. It means that, yeah, in our workplaces, we're in a really unique position to be able to see the signs. Um, if we know what to look for, we could see the signs maybe sooner than a family member or a friend could. And if we're equipped to, to start the conversation and help with some resources, we're possibly in a great position to really, really help somebody. And so that's where the whole notion, that was sort of the whole inspiration for Headway. And Headway is a movement to help more companies across Canada embrace best mental health practices. So we know that companies are in various stages of their journey. Some companies, you know, are quite well established and are doing a ton in this area. Some um, haven't really thought about it much at all. 
Um, but what we wanted to do with Headway was we wanted to equip anyone, any company leader, um, regardless of where they are in their journey, with one idea, one thought, one bit of inspiration to help them move along their journey. So Headway's super action oriented. And when we awesome. launched, yeah, when we launched the movement, um, it was the night of Monday, May 13th, which was a year and a day after we lost Luke. We launched it and it was all about pledging. Um, we wanted everyone to come right. ready to make a pledge for one thing they're going to do differently back in their workplaces. And so what we're trying to do is share those pledges, amplify those pledges, share success stories, share challenges, and create a community, a movement that is really intent on furthering mental health best practices in the workplace. I saw the pledges that were being posted that night on LinkedIn and Twitter. I know our own HR person, Angelica, who I interviewed with uh, when I joined this company, made a pledge. So that was really, I was really happy to see that. Um, Angelica is a great uh, person. The reason I think what you guys are doing is so valuable and so important at Sklar Wilton and, and with the Headway Movement is that I really think people sometimes underestimate the role that your environment has in your mental health. Mental health has become a more popular topic to have a conversation about over the last few years. And you see that with things like Bell Let's Talk and everything. You know, it is a subject that's been getting more attention. But personally, I think that sometimes we speak too much as though mental illness is, is just this little kind of disease in your brain. And it's like, you know, it, it happens totally out of context of the rest of your life. And, you know, you just need the right drugs or, or the right therapy. And then it and then it heals like a wound. But I really think mental health issues kind of, at least in many ca many cases, and, and perhaps in, in my case in the past, really sort of relates to uh, your past or present environment. And what I'm getting at here is that if you have a toxic work environment and toxic relationships with the people at work, where you don't feel respected and you don't feel listened to, or if you have a toxic family environment or any other kind of environment where the people and activities in your life aren't functional, that's bad for your mental health. And if we can create environments, including work environments, where people are respected and people are listened to and, and people have connection, you know, that's going to help mental health. And, and we can't just speak about mental health like it exists totally out of context. We need to actually make it so that we live in a society that fosters mental health. Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. And I, I like a bunch of things you said there. I mean, one thing that you implied is that all of us are vulnerable. And I kind of mentioned that earlier. I really, truly believe that if the conditions were right or wrong might be the better way to put it, that any of us, any of us can succumb to a mental illness. And so that's where the, the power of the environment is so important. And if we think about the time we spend at work, um, the time that we're with our work colleagues and the impact that that has on our life. Um, to, to be in denial that the workplace is absolutely a critical element of our own mental health, I think, is, is incredibly naive and borderline irresponsible. So, um, yeah, conditions are huge. So I think it's great what you guys are doing. I think it's great that it's action-oriented, that it's uh, practically oriented, that it's focused on environments, and that you're making people take these pledges um, or asking them to. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we were super excited uh, on the launch night to see to see how many pledges we went up on that pledge board. So how do you define mental health and mental wellness? Like if you could summarize, what kind of state are you hoping 
to get people to and to get employees to. If you, if you talk about defining mental wellness, I love, I'm, I'm real partial to the Morneau Chappelle um, Queens University definition that they use in their mental health leadership certificate program. Um, and this is my paraphrase of it because um, I usually try and make things simple. Um, but it's really the, for me, it's the ability to enjoy life and deal effectively with its challenges. Um, and so that's what we're trying to equip people with. And that's what Headway's about is, first of all, helping, helping companies with a roadmap to identify the right resources to set up programs with their employee bases where they can equip them with sort of that, that preventive maintenance kind of stuff I was talking about. So set them up with that toolkit so that they can, um, they can proactively take care of their mental wellness. And then obviously, if there is an illness or when there is an illness, also be able to direct people to the right resources where they can get the professional help that they need. So that's what we're really trying to do with Headway is make sure that A, companies are endorsing the need for this and seeing the business case for it if they don't just simply believe it's the right thing to do. Um, there's actually a very compelling business case around it. And then B, put the right programs, the right education programs in place and have um, resources available. Well, that's a great segue to my next question. A few weeks ago, we released a list of the best workplaces in Canada for mental wellness um, based on our trust index survey that we do thousands of. You can see that at greatplacetowork.ca right now. It's on the top of our website. But what I wanted to ask you is what characteristics does a workplace conductive to mental wellness have or conducive? <laughs> what characteristics does a workplace conducive to mental wellness have? Like if you're an employee or you're a newly hired HR manager and you're doing a diagnostic of this new workplace, like what's the first thing they should look for? What's the quickest way to tell, all right, is this a mentally well workplace or is this a workplace that is bad for the mental wellness of its employees? I think the first thing to look for, um, and even before I saw the great place to work data to look for is a high trust environment. I'm thrilled that the great place to work data proves, proves that out because when you don't have high trust, when you're dealing with a long stigmatized issue with this, frankly, when you're dealing with anything around um, kind of diversity and inclusion, which in the broadest sense, you could you can consider mental health to be um, or mental illness to be. I think I think you've got to be able to have an open environment where people can are feel free and safe to speak up and talk and share their story and say what they need. Um, and if you don't have that, if that's not, you know, if you don't have a culture rooted in trust, you're not going to have that open communication. And if you don't have that open communication, as a corporate leader, you're not going to be able to even know what the problems are, much less go about solving them. So that's kind of how it works in my mind. And that really matches the, if you can't tell, by the way, this particular subject is important to me already. So I'm glad that uh, this is the first episode of our podcast. But that really matches the definition I already had of what mental wellness is and what it means to be mentally healthy, which is basically that in any given moment, you feel comfortable experiencing and expressing your true emotions, that you don't feel repressed. And some people, you know, sort of associate mental illness with negative feelings in general. And that's a misconception because with mental illness, you don't understand where they're coming from. And it inter interferes with your ability to function. 
But if you can experience an emotion, whether it's negative or positive, but actually process it and experience it comfortably and feel comfortable expressing it and move on from it, then then that's when you're in a mentally healthy state of mind. Absolutely. And like from a workplace perspective, that means you're bringing your whole self to work. Right. As opposed to having your guard up and only bringing part of yourself to work. And I mean, we want whole people. We want people to bring everything they've got in here when they come in every day. And if they've got, you know, if they've got walls up and guards up and and things like that, then we're not getting the best out of people for sure. So Great Place to Work Canada and Sklar Wilton worked together to create a report called Trust is the Foundation for Mental Wellness in the Workplace, a Guide for Employers. Can you tell me a little bit about that report and its findings? Yeah, so funny. First thing I, I would say is you use the word report, which sounds kind of daunting. But one thing I'd like to guide. say about this yeah, it's really like a quick, easy, breezy, what is it, 16-page read. So that's one thing that's great about it. It's an easy thing for um, anyone, employer or employee, to pick up and digest very quickly. Um, it provides a strong business case for investing in business health, investing in mental health in the workplace, and then actually gives you like top 10 sort of best practices for creating a mentally healthy workplace. Um, So I love sort of pithy guides like this. I also love the fact that um, it provides examples of what different workplaces are doing relative to each of those 10 best work, best practices. Um, So you get some really practical solutions and ideas. Um, But maybe as we are a company rooted in consumer insights, as I mentioned earlier, so we love data. The other thing I love about this is it's rooted in really robust data. So great place to work, um, as a lot of us probably know, is the world's largest annual workplace study. And in Canada alone, there's 66,000 survey completions by employees in a given year. So they're they're drawing from a large, large data set to prove out these points. So can you tell me a little bit about what the recommendations that the report makes are that are grounded in this data? Yeah, I mean, I think, so the 10 best practices, which we we can talk through if you want or highlight a few of them, but I think, you know, a key key thing that the report points out that I think is so important is really almost like the moral responsibility of employers is number one, to do no harm. Because back to our conversation about the workplace and the impact it can have on people's lives, you know, job one is to make sure we're not doing anything in the workplace um, that could actually contribute to someone's, um, met, you know, poor mental health. Um, I think another key thing in here is um, the second sort of key thing to take away is we need to provide for and connect employees with the supports and treatments. So it's back to making sure we as employers know what the resources are out there and can quickly connect people who need help with the right resources. And then I think the third point is more that proactive sort of wellness idea that I mentioned early on where it's it's our responsibility to put some things in place that that equip our employees to be more resilient um, and better able to cope with with life's challenges. Um, so those are some of the those are kind of the three key takeaways for me. Do no harm, make sure you have effective resources, and then establish. Um, a wonderful proactive toolkit as well. That's the first thing they teach doctors, right? First, do no harm. Yeah. 
Exactly. It's not, it's not too different. And if we take mental health and mental wellness seriously, and given that we spend as much time at work as we do doing anything else, then you could argue that managers have just as much agency to impact your well-being as doctors, and it's just as important for them to instill that principle as it is Boy, for love, doctors I, to. Yeah, I love that connection. That's really good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that one. You're welcome to. I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking <laughs> through the report right now. I like it's the first recommendation is leadership sets the tone. So I think that's really important. And that ties back to what we were saying earlier about authenticity, um, where you want to lead by example. And that applies to everything a boss does. But I think uh, in this area, it especially applies. Maybe the way to implement this report isn't for a CEO to have a conference, uh, to give a lecture and say, you know, hey, everyone else, you need to start you know, fostering mental wellness. Mental wellness is important because that's not authentic. You, they need to lead by example. They need to show and what they're and what they're doing when they have meetings, when they're leading people. They need to be the first ones to show that they're considering mental wellness and that they're that they trust their employees and that their employees feel comfortable expressing themselves. Absolutely, and and I could take that a step further and suggest that probably corporate leaders are often the ones who may be struggling the most with mental health issues. I can believe that. And are in a great position to kind of share their vulnerabilities and their stories with their employee population. Um, Because if you sort of think about the the conditions that can lead to mental health issues, um, corporate leaders are often dealing with those day in and day out. And I remember my friend, uh, Martin, I think is his name, who likes to post on our LinkedIn page frequently. He uh, said that. He thinks the major obstacle here is that no matter how much reassurance employees get uh, from employers, they're not going to believe that they can speak about this openly without facing repercussions, that they're just not going to feel comfortable doing it, even if the company signals that they should be comfortable doing it. But I think that if the leadership sets an example, if the leadership starts talking about their own issues with mental health, then that's going to send a very strong signal to everyone else at the company that this isn't taboo anymore. And that's something they can talk about. Absolutely. Yeah. Looking through, going further down the report, number two, create a culture of connection. Number three, foster strong communication. Uh, Those are pretty related. So I think that that's important. I think, I I believe psychologists define connection as interacting with someone based on their authentic selves. So that kind of ties back to what you said earlier. I think uh, when it comes to mental health in the workplace, the biggest factor is how we relate to each other uh, as coworkers. So those two points are really important. Totally agree with that. Yeah. Number four is instill fairness. Number five is empower employees to do their best work. Going down. Number eight, promote whole person well-being. So why don't you talk about that for a little bit? Like what, what does that mean? Promote whole person well-being. So does that tie into things like, you know, supporting their you know, mental health and physical health initiatives outside of work as well? Um, I think, yeah, for sure. So it's for us, the way we've sort of defined that and thought about it is that mind, body, spirit kind of support and recognizing it's back to like, we want you to bring your whole self to like, there is no longer in our minds, this division between your work life and your personal life that both impact one another there's a fluidity here that we need to recognize, we need to acknowledge, and we need to equip people 
things we're equipping them to do well, you know, if it's resilience, if it's coping, we're equipping them with those skills in their work life. They're obviously skills that they can translate to their personal life as well. And so that's sort of where the whole person thing comes from. And so that's why our toolkit has been built around um, mind, body, spirit. So trying to focus on the physical, the mental, and the higher order sense of personal purpose and fulfillment. And so we've done a whole bunch in that area. I mentioned a few things earlier, but we've worked with the naturopath on things related to nutrition and to support your immune system, things like that. We've done a lot with sleep, stress management. Physical health is really important. Like I find that if I'm, and this this goes back to my earlier point about mental health existing in a context in real life, where I find that if I don't sleep well, or if I'm not eating well, that's bad for my mental health. That's bad for my stress. And that's a real physical thing that has consequences for your mental health. Yeah, they're all interconnected. So we're trying to, with our whole person program, we're trying to really acknowledge that and recognize that and help each other understand. I mean, we're all learning together on this um, and bringing experts in to help us to understand how all these things interconnect so that we can be our best in our personal and our work lives. Number nine is let employees know they are valued. That's important to me. And number 10 is measure and course correct. And I think number 10 might be the most important because if you aren't willing to be self-critical, if you aren't willing to ask yourself if you've done the right thing in the past and and be aware of your mistakes, then you're not going to be able to make any improvements. Right. Yeah. As researchers, we're big believers in that too, that there's always an opportunity to to improve and get better and course correct in some way, shape or form. So if you're not out there asking the right questions and collecting the data on how things are going, then you don't have a good guidance system in place to help you make those improvements. So one last question in terms of what we can do to make that actually happen. Do you have any advice for employers that want to improve trust and mental wellness in their own workplace or managers or HR executives who want to get policies that promote mental wellness implemented at the workplace but are struggling? Do you have any advice for them for what they can do to change their workplace and to get uh, those they report to and their colleagues to take this issue more seriously? I think um, I'll start, I guess I'll start with employers. And I, I think We talked a little bit about this before, but it's worth reiterating the importance of committing to this as being something really important. Because if you're not truly committed, it's going to be whatever you put in place, whatever you do, it's going to be inauthentic window dressing. And if just doing the right thing isn't enough to convince you, then there is that compelling business case. And it's some of the key facts are outlined in in the beginning of that employer guide. Um, But basically, if you think about the fact that Canadian companies are losing $50 billion a year to things like absenteeism, presenteeism, and all the other productivity hits that come with employees who are struggling with mental mental health issues, then, you know, if you you don't want to just do the right thing, then pay attention to that data. And you'll realize that your employee population is not immune to that one in five statistic this is something that you should probably pay attention to because it hits your bottom line. So my, my advice to employers would be commit. And then for managers or employees, obviously, if this, is, if this is something that resonates with you, talk with your senior leadership, get this on their agenda. 
And I realize in big companies, sometimes that's hard to do. And you may not necessarily um, have, have someone's ear on that. And if that's the case, then implement as many best practices as you can in your work teams. Um, figure out how to take care of each other, even if the big system around you isn't giving you the best possible conditions to do so. There's still a lot of impact that you can have within your, your work team, your division, your immediate work area, um, sort of back to that point about how important all those relationships and those conditions are to, to our mental health. And then I would say kind of to everybody, um, there are two great resources. There's the employer guide that you and I have been talking about. Um, there's also another tool that we launched um, with Headway, and that was um, a workplace mental health resources roadmap. Um, there's a ton, there are a ton of resources out there available to workplaces. Many of them are free and available online, um, but it can be a little overwhelming if you're just dipping your toe into this. Um, so what we've tried to do is create a bit of a roadmap to help you work through the process of kind of assessing what your needs, your, you or your team's needs might be, creating a plan and then acting on that plan. Both of those resources are available on our sclarwilton.com website under our headway page. And I know the guide um, is available on the Great Place to Work site as well. And then I'd say join our headway LinkedIn group. Um, yes. There are going to be a lot of resources available there. You can be part of that conversation. You can learn from what other companies are doing. Make a pledge, share your experiences, and become part of the movement um, because resources are going to be renewed and refreshed all the time through that. Yes, make a pledge. Is there a downloadable version of the form, of the pledge form available anywhere? Or if not, there can you is make not, one? You know what? It's a great suggestion. Because I would, I would love to print some of those off and have everyone at Great Place to Work Canada fill it out as well. I know Angelica and Nancy did because they went to the launch, but the rest of us haven't. That's a great suggestion. We will definitely do that and add that to, um, to the page on our website as well as that LinkedIn group I mentioned. Awesome. All right. That was all I had in terms of questions, Sarah. Uh, would you like to go through your plugs once more? for both Sklar Wilton and the Headway Movement so people know uh, where they can go to keep this going? Yeah, you bet. In terms of Sklar Wilton, if anyone needs help um, <laughs> with inciting solutions um, to, help, to help grow their brands, we're sklarwilton.com and you can, you can learn all about what we offer and the, the wonderful clients that we work with and our fabulous team. Um, in terms of Headway, um, my plugs would be to, to join that Headway LinkedIn group so request to join it, um, and we will we will let you in, and then make a pledge, um, take a picture of it, post it, act on it, um, and then share share that pledge all over social. That will really help us fuel this movement. And you can follow Sarah at Sarah Liverance on Twitter. At Sclar Wilton is also on Twitter, and remember to follow or try to connect with Sarah on LinkedIn as well, so that we can keep this discussion going. Thanks again to Sarah for being my first guest, and thank you so much to all of you for listening. I appreciate both you and Sarah bearing with me as we figure this podcast out. If you liked it, or if you didn't like it and think it might get better in the future, please subscribe on SoundCloud and other platforms. If you want to learn more about what we do, 
give us a visit at greatplacetowork.ca and follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, I would love to hear your feedback, especially if it comes in the form of a comment on our LinkedIn post. If you'd like to give some more private feedback, just send us a message. Send a message to the Great Place to Work Canada Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter account privately. I will be the one that sees that message. Until next time, this has been Workplace Greatness Radio. Remember to stay great.